I knew the general direction of the radio station. I walked and tried not to think too much about what I'd had to do to Ray. Twice I stopped to puke at the memory. My survival instinct kicked in about five hours later as I walked to the edge of an open, flat field. I had to get to shelter soon. The sun was dropping low against the mountains, and the eerie reddish glow it cast over the field was unsettling. But there was a building in the distance, on the other side of that field. If I could get there safely, it might be safe to stay in overnight. The stealthy movements in the woods behind me sent shivers up my spine. Zombie animals were stalking through the shadows, and I didn't want to run in with any of them. The field looked deserted, so I set out at a fast-paced walk, constantly scanning the landscape for signs of danger. The building turned out to be a little mom-and-pop general store, and it was locked up tight. Two corpses lay in the gravel parking lot. They had been ripped to shreds. I peeked in the windows, hoping to find a way inside that didn't include breaking out the glass. Movement toward the back of the store. The drink cooler caught my eye. I watched for a minute. It was a young woman. She had not been turned. I pecked on the glass, and she spun toward me, dropping the bottle she had just taken from the cooler. Her eyes were wide with fear as she spotted me. I waved and gently tapped on the glass for her to please let me in. Now eyeing me suspiciously, she made her way to the door. Have you been bitten? Attacked? She asked me. I'm clean. I crossed my heart and made the Boy Scout sign. She squinted at me through the murky film on the glass. There were shuffling noises behind me, and I turned, my heart falling with dread. An older man and young boy were making their way through the lot. The boy's leg was bloody, and he dragged his foot as he walked. They waved, the older man calling out, Jesse and Max here, we're clean. He fell and cut his leg on the car in the junkyard. We need shelter for the night. Please. Max looked like a fellow who could take care of himself in a scrape. He had a sword strapped to his back, and the neon green handle showed up starkly against his dark hair. The girl in the store backed away from the door and reappeared, pointing a shotgun at me. She pointed to Max and Jesse, shook her head and took a step back. Please, don't leave us out here. He said the boy was clean. I mean, it was an accident, not an attack that cut his leg. Plus, it's getting dark. I pleaded with her, trying to appeal to her nurturing side and hoping like hell she had one still. Max and Jesse stood beside me. Max lifted Jesse's leg to the window so that she could see it was indeed a clean cut from his knee to mid-calf. She lowered the gun and after another long moment of consideration, opened the door, ushering us inside. Locking the door behind us in a matter-of-fact tone, she said, If he starts changing, I'll shoot him in the head without hesitation. Then, she walked to the cooler and took out another bottle, walked to the back room, and sat with her shotgun across her lap. I admired her for her stoicism. I felt anything but stoic under the circumstances. Telling someone I would shoot their kid just wasn't in me, I guess. It was good that someone in the little troop was that hard, I suppose. 
even if it was just a store clerk who looked as if she could have graced the supermodel scene. Max gave her a hard look and took Jesse to the little kitchen to clean and bandage his leg. The kid looked like he was about 11 or 12, and he only made eye contact with me once. I smiled at him, and he looked quickly back to the floor as they passed me. I grabbed the cold water and then went to the back room. The clerk sat drinking her water, staring at the blank canvas of the wall. I sat on a rickety chair and propped my arms on the table. I'm Steven, but everyone calls me Shrews. I extended my hand. She scowled at me, then at my hand, and looked away. I get it. Not in a social mood right now. I guess that's okay. I just thought it'd be nice to get to know one another a little bit, considering we're the only people around for what seems to be miles. I stood and pushed the chair to the table. Without turning, she said, Tracy. Everyone just calls me Tracy. Well, it's good to meet you, Tracy. I left her alone. It was obvious that she didn't want to be bothered. Max had wrapped a towel around Jesse's leg and put freezer tape around it to hold it in place. Most of the bleeding stopped within a short while. Max was more talkative than Tracy, and Jesse was completely and utterly silent. The kid never even whimpered. I thought he was probably in shock, no telling what he had seen. I told Max about the two men in the radio station, and he said he knew it well enough to get us there. It would take a while, but we could make it, he thought. Tracy joined us around midnight, seemingly in a more social mood. Not much, but enough that I told her about the radio station and our plan to go there the next day. She was not happy about it. She said that walking all that way would surely get us killed, especially with a kid in tow. Well, we don't have to walk all that way, I said. There are two bodies in the parking lot and three cars. I'm sure at least one of those cars belonged to one of those corpses. We'll take a car from here. She looked surprised. I didn't even think of that, or it would have been gone when they first showed up. She shook her head and started for the back room again. Whatever. I'm exhausted. I'll see you guys at sunrise. Max and I slept in shifts. I took the first shift. Three hours later, I woke Max and I dozed fitfully through the remainder of the night. We let Tracy and Jesse sleep undisturbed. It was quiet outside when I got up and started planning our trip. There were no zombies of any kind roaming around. And, well, that was a good sign. I marked our route on a map and left it on the counter. I really didn't want to go outside and fish around in the pockets of dead people for car keys, but it had to be done. Putting on a brave face, I eased outside with Max watching my back from the doorway. Luckily, one of the dead guys had hooked his keys onto his belt loop, and I didn't even have to dig through his pockets. Fighting the urge to gag, I held my breath and unclipped them. Trying them in the first car's ignition, I frowned. It was a big old Chevy, and it would have hauled us and our supplies easily. But we ended up with a mid-sized Saturn sedan with almost a full tank of gas. I didn't start the engine. I didn't want to alert any zombies that were there. 
Tracy and Max helped me load the trunk with supplies. Once we were safely in the car, I started the engine and we drove away, and I watched the little sore grow smaller in my rear view with a growing sense of unease. But I knew we needed to make it to that radio station and see if there were other survivors. We drove for miles in silence and without seeing corpses or any residual carnage from the outbreak. I mean, I could almost pretend that I was out with friends for a nice Sunday drive through the country. Well, almost. And then we ran into a strip of road that was clogged with cars and corpses and roaming animals. Some of the vehicles had burned and others still had passengers inside, as if they had tried to remain in the safety of their cars, only to die in them. I stopped and surveyed the blocked road, Dogs, raccoons, possums, and a few cats milled about, feasting on corpses and body parts strewn across the pavement. It was close to noon, and the smell was more than unpleasant. We couldn't drive off the road and get around the cars. The ditches on either side were far too wide and deep for the Saturn, and none of us wanted to walk under the circumstances. And that meant that there were only a couple of choices left. Get out and scare away the animals so that we could push cars out of the road, or turn around and head back. I took out the map and checked the roads. If we turned back, we would have to go all the way back to where we knew there were clogged roads and zombies. Then it would take us several hours out of the way, and well, we didn't know if there were working gas stations in that direction. As it was, we had enough fuel to get to the radio station the way we were going. I turned off the ignition and Jesse gasped, sitting forward. He uttered his first words since we'd met. Why do you do that, mister? I mean, don't you see the animals and the dead people out there? His eyes were wide. Max patted his shoulder and assured him that we were safe. And deep inside, I hoped Max was right. Tracy, I need you to stay here with Jesse. Max, I need you to come with me and help me push some of the cars off the road so that we could get through this mess. I stepped out, machete in hand, and I popped the trunk to retrieve my rifle. Max joined me. He took Ace's shotgun and ammo. What about your sword? I grinned at him. Eh, work smarter, not harder, my friend. Gun first, then sword. He loaded the gun and then crammed the remaining shells into his pocket. I took aim at a very large raccoon. He was tearing into the throat of a man and snarling at the other animals who came too close. I felt a blankness inside me as I pulled the trigger, and the raccoon fell. There was no guilt, no remorse, no sorrow or fear. I was devoid of feelings. It had to be done for all of our safety. It was a chore to get it done, but mark it off the list. Nothing more. A month before, I could not have done anything of the sort. But the world changes, and we change with it. Don't we? Some animals scattered, running off through the pastures on the right or into the shrubs on the left. Max and I walked between the vehicles to make sure we were in the clear before we started pushing cars out of the way. With three cars out of the way, we were faced with another decision. There were rotting corpses that needed to be moved before the other three cars could be maneuvered off the road. 
We could drag them to the sides, or we could run them over. And at that moment, I motioned for Tracy to come help us. She wasn't happy about it, but she was as determined to get to the other survivors as Max and I were. So she grabbed the woman's arm and tugged, and the arm ripped off, and Tracy bounced on the pavement. The arm flew into the air and landed across her face. Tossing aside, she cursed and wiped herself off. I helped her to her feet again, unable to hide the smile on my face. I'd rarely heard a woman use so much profanity in a single breath. We moved the bodies without much trouble after that. Tracy helped move the other cars and we were soon in the Saturn again, weaving through the opening we just made. As we moved on to an open road again, I realized that I had not been nearly as affected by the corpses as I had been before. It hit me that I was becoming used to the sight of mangled, rotting bodies. Something inside me had calloused over, hardened, or just plain died with this new reality, and it scared me how quickly it had happened. I wondered if the others felt the same way, but I didn't ask them. Some things are too personal to talk about with strangers, even if we were the only living people around. The radio station came into view a short time later. It was a flat, square little building out in the middle of a large field. Yeah, that's it right there, Max stated flatly. I nodded and turned onto the road. It looked as if someone had burned a large clearing around the building, and part of the bricks had been scorched too. The burned ground had been raked clear of debris and white granules had been scattered around the perimeter. Tracy looked at the white granules. Odd. It looks like they salted the ground. Well, why would they do that? I asked her. Whispering, Max said, to keep anything from growing on it. The door opened a crack and a man's face appeared. Who are you? I stopped and held out my hands. Well, we heard your looping broadcast. We're survivors from that way. I jabbed my thumb in the direction we had just come from. The man eased the door open and spotted the wrap on Jesse's leg. Is he sick? Uh, no, he cut it in a car in a junkyard. We're all clean. I waited patiently. Deciding that we were okay, the man opened the door and motioned us inside. Tracy went first, obviously agitated. Max and Jesse followed. I'm going to pull the car closer to the building. I pointed to the Saturn and turned. Just hurry. Animals tend to come sniffing around at dusk. And the door closed behind me. I took in food, drinks, and the men introduced themselves as Ryan Henderson and John Trevine. And John seemed to be the leader. He seemed to be a lot more cautious than Ryan. They were glad to have our supplies, but I'm not sure whether our company was welcome or not. Neither man seemed very friendly, especially not John. They told us about the creeper vine and how they burned it off the building so that they could go in without it attacking them. I shuddered. People, I knew that they would turn with the virus. Animals too, but plants? The thoughts of zombified foliage bothered me more than it should have. I'd walked through woods, leaped into bushes and against trees. And now, I wouldn't even be able to do that. As Ryan had said, at dusk, 
I heard animals outside scratching at the bricks, the doors, the bare ground. Jesse huddled close to Max as the fights broke out and animal screams filled the night. I took to the small room away from the others. I wanted to sleep and figured we were safer there than anywhere I'd been so far. I woke up with Tracy curled up at my side. She hadn't spoken more than a dozen words to me since arriving at the radio station. She was beautiful. Maybe the only beautiful thing left in the world now. I watched her sleep for a while, quietly wondering what could have been if we had met before the world changed. She probably would never have acknowledged me. We spent the next day bringing in more supplies from the car and planning a run to find gas and more food. We also needed to look for others. Ryan was up for it, but John was not. He said we didn't have enough room for more people in the little radio station. He was right. It was crowded with only the five of us, but we still had to look for other survivors. We could worry about another sanctuary afterwards. We had a brainstorming session. Everyone named off places they knew in the area. Stores, warehouses, bunkers. And finally, Max exclaimed, I know where we could dig in and stay safe. It would hold all of our supplies we'll need. Uh, the power can be run from the Jennies, too. At least, for as long as we have fuel for them. He was grinning wide. It was the most animated I had seen him so far. Brushy Mountain. The State Pen. We'd all heard of it naturally. It had closed down years before and was just sitting on that mountain, defunct and sealed off with a wall and industrial gates. For the first time since the world had spun out of control, I felt a true spark of excitement. Brushy Mount was huge. A whole town could live inside the compound. Tracy complained that she had a migraine and made her way back to the little room to lie down. I took her aspirin from the bathroom cabinet. She took them and curled up on the floor under the wobbly little card table. I told her that Jessie would stay and keep an eye on her while the rest of us went on a short supply run. She only nodded. The first gas station we stopped in still had electricity. I wondered how long before the electric was gone, before all our modern technology went bust and threw us back to the dark ages. We strapped fuel jugs to the roof of the car with bungee cords and filled the tank. All the canned food went into the trunk. There wasn't much, but every little bit helped. At least, it gave us some hope. I pulled into the parking lot of a supercenter. It looked like a slaughter had taken place in the parking lot. Mutilated corpses had reanimated. Most were so torn apart that they could no longer walk, but instead pulled themselves along with their hands. Some were stuck inside vehicles, thrashing and screaming, leaving smears of blood and tissue on the windows. The virus had apparently wiped all their memories and they were trapped, clueless as to how to open their car doors. But I was glad of it. If they were in their cars, they weren't going to pose a significant threat to me or the others. Our goal had been to raid the food section of the store, and we ended up leaving without ever getting out of our car. We could see the zombies inside the store. It was worse than at Big Dale's store back home. On our way back to the radio station, we spotted a zombie wandering close to the trees. 
There were none in the big field, so we thought we were safe. We carried in the canned food and the bottled waters from the gas station and spent a long time rearranging the shelves and cabinets to fit it all in. We had cold vegetables and light bread for dinner. Tracy declined, saying her stomach was upset and that her head still hurt. She felt mildly fevered. But, you know, I didn't think it was anything to worry about. At least not then. That night, I slept in the little room with Tracy. She had barely been out of that room all day and was still sleeping when I went in. Sleep didn't come easy that night. The animal sounds were more aggressive than the night before, and their fights were louder. Not long after I finally drifted off, I was startled awake by Tracy. She had closed the door and stood naked before me. If she had been beautiful, fully clothed, she was exceptionally gorgeous naked. She then put her fingers to her lips. Shh, they're sleeping. She knelt beside me. It's the end of the world, you know. She leaned over and her long hair fell around my face like a curtain. Well, the world we know anyway. I reached up and ran my fingers down her back. The heat from her body was startling. I didn't want to take advantage of a woman with such a high fever. Why don't you put on your clothes and let's just rest tonight? You're not well, Tracy. She kissed me and I kissed her back. I didn't want to take advantage of the situation, but I am just a man. Sick or not, I knew I would only be able to resist her for a little while longer. Breaking the kiss, I tried to push her up and away from me. She grabbed handfuls of my shirt and pulled close to my face. It's the end of the world, and I might die the next time I go out there. I like you. I want you. The silky, sexy tone of her voice and her nude body pressed fully against me, sealed the deal. She was right. Either one of us might die at any time. We should find solace with each other for as long as possible. We fell asleep in a naked, sweaty, satisfied tangle, and a knock at the door woke us. She groaned and rolled away, pulling a shirt over her body. I dressed and opened the door a crack. Ryan was there, fear in his eyes. Look out the window, but don't open the blinds. Just peek, and for God's sake, be quiet. And I did. There were zombies everywhere. I went to look out the smaller windows. The building was surrounded. We were stuck inside. There was no way to the car. And even with all our ammo, we'd never be able to clear a path. Max said, They must smell us. They're trying to locate us by smell. It's the only explanation. And John whispered, They attack anything that makes a sound too. Or... Anything that they bump into, like cars or fence posts, just anything, trees, whatever. So stay quiet, and maybe they'll go away. At that time, I went back to tell Tracy. She was still naked and squatted in the corner with a snarl on her face. Her hair hung in clumps around her. The sweat slipped her body, making it shine in the dim light. But the worst was her eyes.
The blue was so dark, it looked black, and the whites were non-existent, hidden behind a film of blood. I looked back to the others, and they were oblivious to my plight. Was she turning? Had she been bitten before I met her? I mean, I would have seen the marks. Not bitten then. My mind raced. I could think of nothing. I stepped outside and eased the doors closed, hoping against hope that she was only fevered from a cold or allergies or anything but the virus. And I whispered, Tracy? She snarled and placed her hands on the floor by her feet. She was crouched and ready to pounce. There was no recognition in her eyes. Tracy, it's Shrews. Surely you remember me. You're fevered. You're sick. I'm going to try to take care of you now. And I motioned for her to come to me, simultaneously hoping she would, dreading what I'd have to do if she did. By then it was obvious that she was indeed turning. She snapped her jaws at me and growled as she stood straight. I reached behind me for the doorknob and turned it. With a sob stuck in my throat, I stepped out of the room and shut the door as she rushed toward me. She hit the door hard. The sound was immensely loud in the quiet. Ryan gasped, and all of them turned to me. Four horrified expressions staring straight at me. John was the only one who moved. He ran to me. What the hell? I told you to be quiet. She hit the door again, screaming. She's... she's... I couldn't finish the sentence. Oh, fuck no. John grabbed my machete and shoved me from the door. He looked at me. Idiot. He yanked the door open, stepped back, and as Tracy came screaming at him, he swung, taking her head with one blow. The zombies outside had begun attacking the building, and the sound of Tracy's screamed had drawn them to action. The glass shattered in that little room. John shoved Tracy's body out of the way with his foot and slammed the door. You've killed us all over a piece of tail. He rushed me. You've killed all of us. He shoved the gore-spattered machete into my hand and turned to push the desk against the door. At that moment, one of the small, high windows erupted into the room beside me. A zombie poked his whole upper body through the opening, arms reaching blindly, jaws snapping like those of a mad dog. I didn't think, only reacted. The machete arced out and the head dropped to the floor. And almost instantly, the other windows burst inward. We would kill the zombie coming through the window, and then another would push through. The bodies were piling up. They were ferocious, without fear or remorse or any feelings at all. The ultimate killing machines. And the wave of them seemed endless. Long after my shoulders burned from swinging the blades, the monsters were still coming. Jesse had made it to the exit door. Max yelled at him, but the boy opened the door. It's clear here. He looked back at Max, who ran for the child. And a monster snatched Jesse from the open doorway, and Max leaped after him. John slammed the door shut. We have to get out of here, I yelled to Ryan and John. Neither responded. The influx of zombies kept coming, and we kept killing. Several minutes passed, and I heard Max pounding at the door. 
Jesse's squeal of terror and pain turned my insides to ice. I moved to open the door and John put his bat in front of my face. I'll kill you if you do it. His expression said he wasn't only making an idle threat, but he's still alive. It will turn sooner or later. He'll turn. John shook his head at me and turned to help Ryan kill another intruder. Max pounded on the door again. His voice was weak and he was out of breath. I grabbed the door. I couldn't leave him out there with those things. And he tumbled in and landed on his side. His back had been shredded and he was covered in blood. In his hand, he held the bright green hilt of the sword. The blade had been broken clean off. You can all get to the car if you run. They're thinned out. He heaved and blood ran from his mouth. And without thinking, I rolled him onto his back. Part of his stomach had been ripped out, and Max was dead. John asked if it was true. I cautiously looked out the door, and there was a small mob of zombies huddled several yards from the car. They were still tearing at Jesse's lifeless body. The only other zombies around were at the windows, and I nodded. The men ran past me and into the car, John jumping into the driver's seat. The keys were in my pocket, and I had the split-second thought to close the door and let them die trying to get back inside. I don't know where the thought came from, but I resisted it and ran to the car as well, handing over the keys. And then all of a sudden, Ryan bolted from the car, saying only one word as he went. Radio. The zombies crowded around Jesse, turned, spotted Ryan, and gave chase. Darting into the open doorway, he was out of sight. The zombies were closing in fast. John pounded the steering wheel and muttered for Ryan to run and forget the damn radio. Running back out the door, Ryan pegged left to narrowly avoid a zombie. The shock on his face said that he was unprepared and that they had caught him off guard. John laid on the horn and screamed, but it was too little, too late. They had Ryan on the ground, ripping at his face and throat and stomach. John then threw the car in gear and stepped on the gas. He ran through the zombies. Their black blood sprayed the car. Their bodies burst under the tires. Ryan was in that carnage. Just thinking about it made my mouth water. I was confused. John screamed and backed up only to run into the remaining zombies again. His scream grated at my nerves, and I wanted him to stop. Finally, he did. He steered us onto the road and away from the radio station. My head pounded and sweat poured from every pore. I crawled into the back seat and curled up. I remember John threatening me, cursing me, wishing I had died instead of Ryan. The ride seemed endless. And then I slept. I woke up and saw that John had left me in the car. John. Yeah. That's his name. I'm having trouble remembering things. That's why I started writing it all down in this notebook. A man brought me inside this building. He was screaming at me and I think I might have killed him. He's dead out there in the hall, and I'm the only one here, so... Yeah, I guess I did kill him. I'm turning. I know I am.
I don't have the balls to shoot myself and end it. Not before I'm done writing anyway. There has to be some record of what happened here and why. If you don't like it, tough shit. I hate you. I'm sorry, it's the virus. I don't know how long I've been sick. And I'm hungry. But I'm angry too. So fucking angry. If you're reading this, you should be very quiet and very still. No sudden movements. They tend to annoy me. <laughs>